Good morning. Um, our scripture is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. It is rising from the end of the heavens in its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of your great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Clayton. Well, um, today in the uh, traditional church calendar is uh, considered Epiphany Sunday, and uh, the season that follows is um, sometimes also known as Epiphany. It's the season in the church calendar between Christmas and Lent, and it's, it's, this, it's a chunk of time where the church has um, leaned into the fact that Jesus is revealed as a Savior, Savior of the world. That's kind of what epiphany and revealed revelation mean. It's that Jesus came to not just save people uh, like you or people that look like you, but uh, the the nations. That's kind of what this whole season is about, the revelation of Jesus. And to help us do that, what we're going to do is, uh, at least for the next six weeks, we're going to look at uh, what theologians refer to as special revelation, which is another way of saying the Bible. And uh, if you've been around Redeemer before, you might say, okay, I thought y'all looked at the Bible every week. Don't y'all do, don't y'all, I mean, it seems like y'all read a scripture passage and talk about it every single week. Yes. But what we're going to do for the next six weeks is look at what the Bible says about itself. What does the Bible say about the Bible? And uh, there's lots of reasons why we're doing this, one of which is because I know that all of us in this room, myself included, have complicated relationships uh, with the Bible. Um, For example, some of you uh, would be in the camp where you say, um, I believe the Bible, I like the Bible, I'm into it. And yet, I think if you're honest, you would say, and I've never really read it before myself. That, you know, you relate to the Bible kind of like the terms of agreement you know, whenever you're online and you download something or you sign up for something and they send you 8,000 pages of legalese and then there's that little box at the bottom that says, check 
if you have read and agree with the terms of agreement, and no human being in the history of humanity has ever read the terms of agreement, but we all click, we all click it and move on. And so that may be you. You may be in this camp where you're like, yeah, Bible, God, Jesus, grace, sure. But you never actually read it. Just click the book, click the button and move on. Others of you are in a camp where you would say, I like the Bible. I want to read the Bible. But every time I have ever tried to read it myself, it feels like I'm reading a software engineering textbook. It is so hard and confusing. And, you, you know, it's, it's, I mean, first of all, the Bible is a, it's large. It is a massive document. It's like Harry Potter book five level length. It's a chunky thing. And you, you start reading it and it's, it's saying words that you don't know how to pronounce, names that sound, you know, foreign to us, places. That, none of this is kind of makes sense to us. It can, the cultural references and laws, all of it can feel really weird and dated. And um, if we're honest, it can also be quite boring. If you've ever tried to read the first nine chapters of First Chronicles, it's just a list of names for nine chapters. It's like paper ambient as you're, you know, as you're reading it. It's, um, it, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it feels like you're reading a like telephone book for some of you who know even what that is. Um, it's, it's, so some of you are in that camp where you're like, I like it, I want to I read it, but when I read it, it's like, uh, it just feels like work and it's confusing. I don't know how to interact with it. Others of you, um, you don't like the Bible. It's, um, it's offensive to you. It's, uh, it feels stupid that anybody would take it seriously. It's just full of fairy tales. Um, you know, more and more modern people find... Um, uh, what the Bible says about sexuality and gender to be oppressive and wrong. More and more people are finding what the Bible says about forgiveness and grace uh, to be wrong and uh, harmful. Um, Mark Twain, I put, a, I put a quote by Mark Twain at the beginning of your Bible, not the beginning of your Bible, the beginning of your bulletin. Um, he said, uh, quote, it is not the things which I do not understand in the Bible which trouble me, but the things which I do understand. In other words, he's saying, I, I know what the Bible teaches. That's the problem. It's disturbing. And then, of course, um, some of you are in the camp where you're like, I, I don't know. I don't know what you think about the Bible. I got a lot of questions, and the verdict is out. I don't know what I think about it. I don't know what I'm, you know, I don't know where, to, you know, where I land with this thing. So we're all over the map with this. Our relationship with the Bible is complicated. We all have got questions. We've all got issues. We've all got things that are confusing, you know, hard about it. And yet, at the same time, consider this. Billions, that's a B, billions of people gather together every week to read it, to pray through it, to hear it preached. That's um, one-third of the human population does that. That's an astounding figure. And, and in the amount of people that have been shaped by the Bible, it's not just individual lives of people that have been uh, transformed by this book, but entire you know, civilizations, cultures, whole, whole societies have been transformed by the Bible. In fact, we, we have uh, Bible quotes on many government buildings all around our country still to this day. There was a, there was a Bible quote that was... Um, posted, plastered in the Lakers arena uh, after Kobe died. 
Um, Kobe Bryant died. My, my, uh, this is my street. We live on Cowden. We just live down here. There's not many Christians that I would say live on my street. And uh, back in 2020, when uh, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd uh, were killed, uh, people put up yard signs with a Bible quote on it. It said, um, let justice roll down like waters. It's a verse from the, from the book of Amos, which is a book in the Old Testament. And so you have, um, not only on top of that, you have the Bible that has inspired countless pieces of art, countless pieces of music. It's the, it remains the number one best-selling book of all time. It is, it is a document that has transformed and impacted cultures for centuries, and it still does. So, because that's the case, you know, I, I think it is worth our interest to figure out what, what, what we're going to do with this thing. For your own intellectual integrity's sake, I think it's worth you settling that question. What am I going to do with this? What even is it? What is the Bible? And why is it the case that for so many modern people, our experience is that it's boring, it's offensive, it's disturbing, and yet it has transformed and revolutionized people for centuries prior to us? All of those are really fascinating questions, and there's a whole nest of questions tangled up in that, and we're just going to lean into it pretty heavily for the next six weeks or so and try to figure out what does the Bible say about the Bible. So for this morning, we're going to look at that uh, beautiful psalm, Psalm 19, that Clayton read for us. And I want you to see from this passage that what the Bible says about itself is that it is God's self-disclosure. It's, God, it's, it's him telling us about him. And I want to look at this really under two big headings. Uh, that God speaks, and then secondly, why God speaks. So first, that he speaks, and then secondly, why he speaks. So first, let's look at um, just the fact that he speaks. Like I said, um, Psalm 19 it's written by David, King David, Old Testament king. Um, he is being extremely poetic and artistic in this passage because what he's doing is he's looking at the world, the physical world around him, and he says that the world is telling us something. It's shouting to us something about God. Look at, um, look at verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Now, again, he's being artistic, he's being artsy, he's being poetic, but he's saying, look, okay, the world around us, the skies, the heavens, they're shouting to us. They are telling us, they're declaring to us. It's like they have voices, and, and they're, they're letting us know about the glory of God and, the, uh, and his handiwork. In fact, Romans 1, if you go to the New Testament, Paul says a very similar thing. He says uh, that the world itself, it, it reveals uh, God's eternal power and his divine nature. So the Bible's looking at you and saying, okay, the world around you is telling you something about God. If that's all you had to go off of, what would you conclude about God? Well, you might look at the world and you might say, okay, well, may, it seems like God is pretty generous. 
Uh, he made a lot of stuff. I mean, he jam-packed the world full of stuff. There's a hyper-abundance of colors and tastes and textures and animals and plants and microscopic stuff. It's, it's, he's very generous. You might also look at the world and conclude um, he is an artist. He seems to really value beauty uh, because the world is breathtaking. Uh, you, you, this is why many of you, you bolt towards the beach the second school is over because there's something just transcendent about being, uh, being uh, looking at the, uh, the horizon of the ocean and the sun setting. It's, it's gorgeous. I mean, this is why we take trips to national parks. This is why we go to the mountains because the world is amazing. It's so beautiful. So you might conclude, yeah, God's this artist. He he's, he's values beauty. Uh, you might look at the world and you might conclude um, God's uh, humorous. He's playful. He has a sense of humor. I mean, because there's a lot of weird, hilarious stuff out there in the world. I mean, just think of a giraffe. I mean, a giraffe is a mashup between a cheetah and a brontosaurus. And then God put a 20-inch long purple tongue in its mouth. I mean, it's just, it's like, you, you can't make this stuff up, but God did. And so you might say, okay, this is, you might look at the world and you think, okay, God is playful, he's humorous, he's an artist, he's generous, okay. But if the world is all that you had to go off of, you might conclude also that God's a monster. Because look at the amount of hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes. It just seems like God is really into hurting people and he could care less. In fact, if you've ever read or have you ever seen um, like anything on National Geographic or Planet Earth, you know, for as, as, as beautiful as um, nature is, it is violent. It is barbaric. Everything in the wild is trying to murder something. And so you, you, might, you might look at this, you might look at the world around you and think, okay, God's into that. He's into violence and blood and guts and gore and all of that stuff. Point being is the world is telling you something, but it's not enough. You don't know. Is God a monster or is he an artist? Is he both? Is he, you, know, you, you don't, you need more than just the world. You need words. And in fact, that's why God speaks. That's why God gives us his words. It's him, him being more specific. In fact, uh, look, at what, um, uh, look at what the um, passage says in, in verse uh, 7. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The reason why uh, I'm emphasizing that word, Lord, is because in verse 7, David shifts. You notice he's talking about God, but in verse 7, he starts talking about the Lord. And I messed up in your bulletin, but that word Lord in the actual, if you look at it in your own Bible or if you're looking at it online or something, the word Lord is in all caps, Lord. And the reason why that is, is anytime you see the word Lord in all caps in the Hebrew scriptures, that's a translation of the word Yahweh, Yahweh was the personal, 
intimate name, God's covenantal name that he said, this is who I am when he was introducing himself to Moses. His words are him introducing himself to us with his words of who he truly is. That's what all that stuff is in verses 7 through 9, his laws, his testimony, his precepts. The only way to know somebody is through words. Think about this. This morning, you walk through that door or that door, and people can know something about you, even if they've never met you before, just by looking at you. They can size you up. They can see the way that you dress or how you style your hair or whether or not you got tats or how you walk, how you carry yourself. People can come to certain conclusions about you. They can look at you and say, okay, you see that woman over there? You see how she's dressed? You see the color of her hair? She totally lives in Midtown. Or you see, uh, oh, you see that dude over there? Uh, You see how he's got his, his hair styled? You see the kind of jeans he's wearing? You know he graduated from Ole Miss. And, um, and you've got the image in your head already of what that is. And so the point is, is you can see somebody and you can conclude things about them. And you might be right, but you might be wrong. You don't know. The only way that you could really know is if they tell you, is if they use their words, is if they let you know this is who I actually am. And so that's what the Bible is. The Bible is God's way of saying this is who I actually am, because the only way that you can actually get to know somebody is through their words. Now, if that is true, and I don't presume that everybody in this room believes that that's what the Bible is or that the Bible is true, but let's just assume if that's true, then here's what that means for us, because this, this poses a big challenge for people, especially modern people. Because if that's true, that that's what the Bible is, it's God using words to tell us who he is and tell us about himself, then that means that we no longer have the right to just be able to decide what God is like for ourselves. We no longer get to begin a sentence with this wording. Well, I like to think of God as blank. I mean, I have heard over the years uh, people say things like, well, I believe that God just wants us to do our best, and that's all that matters. Or I think that God doesn't really care what you believe as long as you're a good person. Uh, I've heard somebody say, I think that God doesn't really care about whether or not I leave my wife. He just wants me to be happy. Now, you're free to think that. It's a free country. It's America. It's 2024. But let's just think about this for a second. Let's say that I stood up here on a Sunday morning, like I'm doing right now, and I said, you should meet my wife, Catherine. She's right there. She's awesome. She's amazing. Uh, Here's some of the reasons I love Catherine. Um, She loves playing Fortnite. I mean, it's pretty amazing that you you get a wife that's way into Fortnite. And, uh, I mean, she will bro out hard sometimes, going, you know, two, three in the morning, uh, eating Indian food, either playing Fortnite or horror movies. She's really into deeply disturbing psychological thrillers that will, you know, mess you up. She's way into it. She's awesome. If you haven't met Catherine, meet her. And uh, if I said that, like I just did, um, after the service was over and we dismissed in the benediction, go in peace, she would come up to me and she would say, what was that? What were, you, what were you doing? Why would you tell a bunch of people that I like Fortnite? I don't like, I don't like video games at all, much less Fortnite. 
I'm not really into Indian food. I, uh, and you know, I hate horror movies. What are you talking about? And I said, whoa, chill. That's just how I like to see you. <laughs> and she would say, that's crazy. You don't have the right to just decide what I am like, much less tell other people that. In the same way, if the Bible's true, then you and I no longer just get to decide what God is like. We have to submit to him telling us what he's like. In the same way, if you walk through this, these doors and people judge you and size you up and, and they say, well, I know this about you or I think this about you or you're this or you're that or you must be from this place or you went to this kind of school, we hate how that feels. We don't want to be judged. You don't get to define me. I'm the only person that gets to define me. Great. Just give God the same luxury. He's the one that gets to define him. And so that's, how, that's, why, that's him speaking, him using words to say, this is what I'm like. So that's the first thing I want you to see. It's that God speaks. He reveals himself through his world, but more specifically also through his word, through the Bible. That's what we think as Christians what the Bible is. It's his self-disclosure, him telling us who he is like and what he is like. Now, that raises a big question. Okay, why? Why does God speak? If that's true, that he speaks, why does he do it? And here's the very simple answer. The reason why is because he wants to be known. He wants you to know him. I have heard people say uh, over the years, and I've thought this myself, and you might even think this today, where you say, um, I would believe in God if he would just stop hiding you know what I'm saying? This, this feeling of like, okay, it'd be so much easier if he just would, if God is real, if he would just like show up and then we could see him and we would say, boom, okay, there he is. I believe in him now. But like, why? I don't understand why he's got to hide or be invisible or just like, why not? And I get that, but here's the question. I wonder if it's the case that God is hiding or if it's more the case that we're not looking that we're not paying attention, that God, what if it's true that God has revealed himself and we've got our eyes closed? We're like the person with the eyes closed and the ears stopped up and we're saying, well, I, I would believe God if he would just show himself in front of me. What if he is and we're just not looking? This is, um, uh, this is, look at what the passage says about what the word does for those who are willing to listen for those who are willing to open their eyes and unclog their ears. Verse 7, it says that the, the scriptures, his word, it, it revives the soul. Verse 7, it says that it makes wise the simple. Verse 8, it rejoices the heart. Verse 8, uh, it enlightens the eyes. Why is it so good? Here's why. Because knowing God is life itself. There's this amazing prayer in John chapter 17 where Jesus is praying to God, and here's how he defines life. Here's how he defines eternal life in that prayer. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, God. According to Jesus, what it means to be fully alive is to know him, to know that you were made by him and for him. This is, if that's true, then that's the reason why you're breathing right now. To know him. That's what it means to be truly alive. This is why um, David says in verse 10, if you keep going, 
This is why he says that God's word is to be desired more than gold, even much fine gold. Uh, It's sweeter than honey in drippings of the honeycomb. This is why Christians love the Bible. It's not because we're just into weird old books. It's not just because we like just enjoy learning information about a historic document. It's because it's through these words that we know him. That's why Christians love the Bible. That's why we read it. That's why we pray it. That's why we keep going back to it over and over and over and over because it's through these words that we know him. And him is where life is. But here's where we bump into a problem. Because when the Bible reveals God to us, it doesn't just reveal God to us. It also reveals us to us. And that's what makes things uncomfortable. If if you notice, this is a very fascinating psalm because this whole psalm is about God revealing himself. And then the crescendo of it, the apex of it, is a confession Did you notice that? In verse 12, he says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Now, what is he thinking right now? Why is he talking about that? He's thinking, okay, I have got hidden faults. I've got faults and flaws, things about me that are hidden from me. I can't see them, but they are obscuring my ability to know and to enjoy God, and I need God to help me. I need him to declare me innocent of these things. And then he keeps going. Look at verse 13. He says, keep me back from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. He's saying, God, I want to be different. I want to change, but I've got these destructive impulses inside of me. I need you to hold back. I do not want them to have dominion over me. I don't want them to control me any longer. You have to help me get rid of all this stuff. So here's the question. You've got a psalm that's about God revealing himself through his world and through his word, and then you get to the end, and he starts thinking, I've got a bunch of hidden faults. I've got these destructive impulses in me that I can't get rid of. Help me, God. Help me, help me, help me. Why? Well, think about it like this. Um, I remember when I was in middle school or high school, somewhere around that age, uh, I remember being home by myself. My my parents uh, had gone. My older sister had gone. And I don't know why, but for some reason I was downstairs and I was in my uh, mom's bathroom. And my mom's bathroom has uh, kind of a big mirror on the wall, normal mirror, but then on the counter, my mom would also have this um, little vanity mirror. I don't know if you've ever seen these things. Where it's, it, it functions like a magnifying glass. It, like, you can see yourself way up close. And it's got this, like, these bright lights around it, just 180-watt blinding lights in your face. And I vividly, I still remember this. I remember going into the, <laughs> into the bathroom and uh, kind of checking myself out in the mirror and kind of like, okay, Matt, looking good, looking fresh. Ladies, watch out today. And, and, and then looking at myself in this mirror and being horrified at what I was seeing because it's, it shows you all your blemishes, all your imperfections, all the stuff on your face that you didn't think was there, but oh my goodness, it is there and it is in full HD view in front of me. And I remember thinking I had this massive pivot from I'm pretty good, I'm looking all right today, to I am revolted with myself. I am a horrific troll. <laughs> and, and, and so you have this experience. I bring that up because when you encounter 
God as he has revealed himself in his scriptures and all of his holy, holy, holiness, as we sang earlier, and all of his infinite love and grace and kindness and glory and beauty. And when you encounter that, it, it is not just this experience of, wow, that's awesome for him. It exposes everything in you that you don't want to be there. You see the blemishes. You see the faults. You see the cracks. You see the things in yourself that are ugly to you. You begin to realize, okay, even the best things about me, the most noble decisions I make, they are shot through with really ugly motives. They are shot through with selfishness. They are shot through with, with uh, uh, lack of faith, all, all the stuff. This is why when you get to the end of the psalm, David cries out for a redeemer. You see that in verse 14? He says, oh, Lord, my, God, my rock and my redeemer. He's saying, I need him to deliver me from me so that I can be the person that I was made to be, which is someone who enjoys and knows God. I need a redeemer. And so, uh, centuries later, uh, God sent a redeemer. The word became flesh. God was not content to just send language to us. He sent a person. He sent himself he wasn't content to just reveal himself through, it, through a letter. He shows up himself, and he reveals, this is, who I, this is who I most fully and finally am, the full revelation of God in the person of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He redeems us by giving his life away for our sakes on the cross. What, 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 is, he, what is he experiencing on the cross? It is God himself being declared guilty so that when you put your trust in him, you might be declared innocent. On the cross, Jesus is being cast out as the hideous one, as the disgusting one, as the revolting one. Why? So that when you put your trust in him, you become the one that is cleansed and perfected and beautified and, and forgiven and restored and accepted. God does not just reveal himself by spilling ink. He reveals himself by spilling his blood. And when you see, okay, that's the God behind the Bible. That's who the Bible has revealed himself to be. This is a God unlike anything else that I've ever conceived of before. This is a God that doesn't shame people who have hidden faults and flaws and blemishes on their soul. This is a God that redeems them. This is a God that is rich in mercy and comes for people that don't deserve it. This is a God unlike any other God I've ever conceived of or ever thought of. He's infinitely more beautiful, infinitely better than, than, than I conceived of. This is the God that we need, and thankfully, this is the God that we have. And the way that you know him is through his words. So I, I don't know what your relationship with his words are. I don't know where you stand with the Bible, but I want to invite you to stick around for the next six weeks, if you're willing to take a, take a you know, dare. Dare you to stick around for the next six weeks. Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at these words. We're going to look at what the Bible says about the Bible and try to really answer two big questions. And these are the two questions I want to leave you with this morning. Number one, what kind of a God is this? What, 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 what does the Bible reveal about God? That's number one. And then number two, what would it look like to actually know him? 
So I hope you stick around, and we'll take this look at what the Bible says about itself and ultimately what it says about him. But let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would give us the capacity to know you. Uh, For many of us, our eyes are sealed shut and our ears are stopped, and we don't want to know you, and yet we know that we're, we're curious, we're drawn to you in some mysterious way. And so, Father, would you be gracious to us to open up our eyes and to unclog our ears, that we might see and behold who you are as you have revealed yourself to be, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, uh, infinitely rich in mercy, willing to give yourself for the sake of your enemies. Father, show us what it would look like to know you and to enjoy you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.